Let's go live. And we should be live very soon. Cool, we are live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to meetup number 69 of the Data on Kubernetes community. It is no coincidence that on such an auspicious meetup, we are joined by two amazing guests we'll get to in a second. Before we do, got to give a couple of quick pointers about this meetup. Um, as it is meetup number 69, and also our second meetup with Cockroach, it's kind of a big deal. Um, the last meetup that we had with Cockroach was in January when Cockroach had just announced that they got 160 million in funding. Congratulations. And it was one of our most well-attended meetups, but not only that, one of our most interactive meetups um, in terms of getting lots of questions going. And a lot of those questions were answered by one of our guests who's gonna be with us today, who's Keith. Um, but a couple other things I just wanna mention before we get started. If you haven't already subscribed to our channel, please do so. If you're not in our Slack, please jump in, introduce yourself. You'll be very well, uh, warmly welcomed. Um, another thing to mention as well too, is that we are already gearing up for KubeCon. Um, so I was actually just in the CNCF ambassadors meeting and talking about traveling difficulties and things like that. But we will be doing a virtual co-located event, uh, most likely on October 12th, just waiting for confirmation, but almost certainly on October 12th. So I'm gonna share really quickly here in the chat. We have the CFP that's open. There'll be a general CFP and then also a CFP that will be for students because we'll have a co uh, students, a student's day a week before that event. Um, so if you're interested in doing that, uh, take a look at the CFP. You can apply a couple of times. So if you have different ideas, you can share them there. Um, other things that we have going on, <clears throat> excuse me, specifically for this meetup, the best summary that is written for this meetup tomorrow on LinkedIn, you'll have until midnight, wherever you are in the world, to write a summary. Uh, the winner will get some swag um, from the DOK community. If we're lucky, because uh, I, didn't, I didn't tell the cockroach folks about this, we might get some cockroach swag in there as well, too. Um, so hopefully get a nice mixture. Um, and obviously, we'll get a big, big shout out and all that good stuff. So... We are gathered here today because one of the big things when we're talking about our community is sharing knowledge to help folks upskill and upskilling in a technological sense, but also so that they can get access to better kinds of jobs. And one of the things that is helping that or that is forming a part of that process are uh, uh, certifications related to Kubernetes. So today I'm going to be joined by Keith and by Jeff, who are both working at, at Cockroach, who have been working together for 12 years. Um, do expect a little bit of irreverence and some sarcasm and some light, maybe even light insults, because these two gentlemen have known each other for quite some time. <laughs> um, but that being said, I just want to remind everybody, get your questions in the chat and we'll get to them accordingly. There's going to be a quick presentation about Cockroach, uh, so we have some background, and then we'll jump right into the conversation with the two of them talking to each other, hopefully disagreeing with each other, um, about this issue of certifications. So that being said, Keith and Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bart. I, I'm about to post into the chat a question about um, whether or not you breathed it all during that. <laughs> I have gills. I, I have gills. You can't see them with my long hair, but that's that's my, my secret. I thought, I thought you were going to turn purple and fall over, but it's awesome. It's good. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, that being said, I think we can turn it over directly to you, Jeff, if you want to share your screen. Um, and like I said, folks, feel free to get your questions in there. Take notes of what they're talking about if you think you're going to write a summary to try to get some swag um, through our LinkedIn challenge. Um, like I said, Keith, you are free to take it away. Awesome. Thank, thank you. And thank you for having us, Bart. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Um, so today we are going to be talking about Kubernetes certifications and, and, and whether it's worth it, which is a topic that, that Jeff knows that I feel strongly about in a, very, a variety of different ways. If I start so, crying, you guys will understand. So um, obviously with this being streamed to YouTube, there's a recording of this will be available after the event. So um, definitely mm -hmm. share with your friends. Um, please ask questions. Um, I can see the chat, Bart can see the chat. Um, 
you know, we're, uh, we want to make this as interactive as possible. As a matter of fact, like most of this isn't a presentation at all. Um, and um, we would love as much engagement from you all as possible on anything Kubernetes, actually, not just certifications. So um, we're going to give you a brief introduction to CockroachDB on Kubernetes and why you should trust us as far as like knowing a little bit about this topic. If it's um, for anything else, you can definitely not trust them. Uh, no, I, I'm, not. A, I'm not trustworthy at all, Bart. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know who's less trustworthy though? People that talk with their video off. So could you turn your camera back on? <laughs> I was going to say. That's you, are, like you, are a, you are a true, truly detail-oriented man. I will, I will <laughs> happily turn my camera back on. <laughs> um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Kubernetes administration, administrator certification specifically from a hiring manager's perspective. Um, and we're going to talk with someone who went through the certification process uh, here in the last six months uh, and what it was like and what the value was to him and all that kind of stuff. So, so my name is, that is. Uh, well, I think it might be you, Jeff. And, <laughs> oh, if, oh, and if it's not you, then you should drop and whoever is going to cover that probably should join. Well, we'll have somebody else join. <laughs> so... <laughs> My name is Keith McClellan. I'm the director of partner solutions engineering at Cockroach Labs. Um, so I've been with Cockroach now for almost three years. Um, I got into the Kubernetes sideways. I was a Mesos guy back in like 2014, 2015. Um, worked at a company called Mesosphere. We were a founding member of the CNCF at the time and did some early work on Kubernetes. So I think the first time I touched Kubernetes was in the 1.0 days, which was um, which was a, a different experience for sure. Um, and then I kind of got away from Kubernetes for a while and came back to it um, as it, when I joined uh, Cockroach Labs. Um, really looking forward to kind of the chat today. Jeff, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit about your Kubernetes experience? Sure. So yeah, um, my name is Jeff Carlson. I work with Keith directly, so I report into him. You guys can send your condolences to me later. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I dabbled. Yeah, yeah. First question. First question. What's it like? What's it like working for Keith? Uh, it's actually pretty good. Uh, if you don't mind, it, the, there's a bit of sarcastic banter going on, and uh, if you need, if you need something, he's he's direct. But once you understand that that's actually uh, efficient, <laughs> it works out well. So, and that's not just because Keith's on here. I'd probably say the same thing if he wasn't. So, um, yeah, and he gets he 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 tolerates my sense of humor, which is always good. Um, back to, let's see. So yeah, my experience a little bit, I mean, I dabbled a little bit with, uh, uh, Kubernetes when I was at Datastax, uh, really just enough to know how to crash a database within, uh, Kubernetes. And that's pretty much how I did it. I couldn't, so I was not as effective as I would like to have been. And then coming here, it was more, the importance on learning it, um, is, was pretty, pretty strong. So uh, we'll get in, get into that more in a little bit, but I feel like uh, it's been a good ride so far. Really good one. Cool. So we're going to talk a little bit about CockroachDB and what it's like to run it on Kubernetes and maybe why folks uh, should care about it. So we are a distributed SQL database. Um, largely what that means is we're trying to help customers bring their system of record workloads into a cloud native environment. And we fundamentally believe that uh, Kubernetes is the lingua franca of the cloud, right? It's the operating system for bringing workloads 
to the cloud in a way that you're 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 not going to regret any kind of some of the architectural decisions you might otherwise make moving legacy applications, right? So we're a horizontally scalable, um, synchronously replicated system. Um, we do replication the same way etcd does. So um, we actually share the RAF library with etcd. Um, and what that allows us to do is to have a single logical database distributed across nodes in multiple places and be able to guarantee the consistency of, of transactions. So um, this allows us to do some great stuff around scaling up elastically very quickly, um, being able to scale across multiple data centers in multiple regions, uh, be spread across multiple cloud providers. There's a Another webinar with a demo that I did with uh, Jim Walker, who, who joined me the first time, um, called the that uses something called Kube Doom, so which is what it sounds like. It's running id software's Doom from 1996 on Kubernetes um, as a chaos testing tool, and you go around and you kill uh, demons, and it kills pods in your Kubernetes cluster. Uh, and we yes, do that while the database is running and putting, we kill database pods with it while we're running load in one of the other data centers. Yes. And, and if you want to work at Cockroach too, you can play with video games as your daytime job for Kubernetes. Yes. No? Yes. I, I got paid to build the demo and then I got paid to paid show it off paid. on a webinar. That's, that's very true. That is an actual career at Cockroach Labs. <laughs> um, because we're distributed and because we do consensus-based synchronous replication, um, we can design an environment to survive lots of different types of failures. So Kubernetes effectively becomes the failure domain. So in an environment like this, you'd run a Kubernetes cluster in each of these data centers. You'd run a single cockroach DB cluster across all of these data centers. And then if you lose an entire region, you lose an entire Kubernetes cluster, everything still works. And the only thing that you have to worry about is making sure that your users get routed to one of the remaining data centers. But all their, uh, there's no loss of data. There's, um, there's no total database outage. The database is self-healing. Um, when that region came back online, we will re-replicate to it all, all of this, that stuff. We basically take the magic of Kubernetes and allow you to apply it to kind of a distributed multi-site stateful workload. Um, and because of that, it allows you to do some things that, that a lot of our customers have struggled with previously, right? Um, most cloud-native databases require you to um, do all of your rights in one data center, right? Or um, they don't guarantee consistency, right? Um, so we're a fully ACID compliant database with serializable isolation. That's the highest level of isolation for a, an RDBMS. Um, that means that we are eligible to be used for, um, for financial transactions, um, things where correctness is the most important thing. So um, you probably wouldn't want to use like a, a, a asynchronously replicated database to manage, say, like your bank account, right? Right. So think accounting software, 
uh, financial transactions, that kind of stuff. So one of our biggest customers is a company that we've all worked with in the past 18 months, DoorDash. Um, they were having problems with the cloud native database that they were using that was specific to a cloud vendor where all of their rights had to go to a single region. So the further you were away from that data center, the worse your performance was. Um, and it started to kind of fall over on them, right? They were having issues basically with payment processing. Um, and they decided to, to move to Cockroach TV to solve that problem so that everybody was having their payments processed in a local data center, but it was still globally consistent. Um, and recently they've decided to, to move a lot more of their backend platform uh, to Cockroach TV. And I think there's going to be some, some announcement, more announcements on that front here in the next couple of weeks. So I won't, I won't say anything further. Um, but the reality is that CockroachDB was built by three ex-Google people who did a lot of work with Borg and were inspired by the Google Spanner paper. So Kelsey Hightower, everybody in the Kubernetes ecosystem knows Kelsey. He's like the lead developer advocate for Kubernetes out of Google. Um, uh, he says that CockroachDB is to Google Spanner what Kubernetes is to Borg, right? So we are effectively the open source agnostic implementation of the same research that went into building Google Spanner. Um, we have uh, a recently generally available 2.0 operator for single site deployments of, of CockroachDB on Kubernetes that I'd spent a lot of time working on. So we can chat a little bit about that. Um, we have a Helm chart for, um, for kind of more naive deployments. We also support um, stateful set config files for customers that have custom deployment requirements. You can run across as many Kubernetes clusters as you're likely to ever need to. Um, and CockroachDB provides geotagging functionality so that we can optimize your replicas so that they're as close as physically possible to where they're actually being used so that we can both have kind of that um, high, hit that high availability requirement but also give you local performance uh, as you're interacting with that data. Um, under the covers, we're of course using stateful sets and services and all of the kind of Kubernetes primitives to, to make that happen. And not just it's not just that you can run CockroachDB on Kubernetes, all of our managed service offering Cockroach Cloud, which is CockroachDB as a service, runs on Kubernetes in the, back, in the background. So that means something like a third of our paying customers already run a self-hosted cluster with, an, uh, with enterprise entitlements. I think it's over 2000 um, uh, community, like free CockroachDB core clusters are running on Kubernetes. And every single one of our Cockroach Cloud instances is running on Kubernetes. So. Uh, suffice to say, we're, we're a Kubernetes company with a database problem, maybe more than, uh, more than, than anything, um, which is why I spend so much time talking about and thinking about and building stuff for, for Kubernetes. Did I, Jeff, did I miss anything? No, no, I think the only thing would be is if they want to use, what, is there a free version, Keith? I <laughs> Yes, <laughs> there is a beta of free version. So first off, we have CockroachDB Core. You can install it on your laptop. 
Um, you can even simulate a multi-node or multi-site environment with a with cockroach demo. Um, there's also um, Cockroach Cloud has a new um, multi-tenant offering that's that's still in beta, but it's available for free to sign up, where you can create kind of a three, five, up to five gigabyte Cockroach uh, Cloud instance in our multi-tenant environment just to kick the tires and see how it goes. So there's there's lots of opportunities to use Cockroach DB. Um, and also slices and dices and makes Julian fries, I think, but I'm not 100% sure about that. I cut through, I just was going to go through cut through a Coke can right now and see if it still works afterwards. <laughs> oh, so from there, all the slide portion of this uh, presentation is now complete. I apologize for making you all sit through that. So um, from here, I think we're going to talk about two high level topics and then we can kind of go from there uh, around the value of, of certifications. Um, from kind of both my perspective as a hiring manager and Jeff's perspective as someone who recently right. went through the process. Yep. So, so Jeff, do you, uh, I think do you I have, have anything questions. for you? I think well, you have since some questions. Have you on camera. Yeah. Do I? I don't know. My biggest thing is, is as a, as a high, so to that point, right. Hiring manager. I mean, what are you looking for, for a skill set that you try to bring on? Um, Let's just start there. Like, what do you feel is necessary to be successful at Cockroach? Yeah, so particularly in the field, we've kind of discovered that everyone needs a, an injection of distributed systems expertise when they come in the door. Um, so uh, you already know this, Jeff, but for the, for the folks that are here, um, pretty much everyone we've hired has some combination of distributed systems and database expertise. Right, whether that's from the Hadoop ecosystem, MPP, old school MPP data warehouses like Natiza and Greenplum, uh, hint hint, uh, Natiza is where Jeff and I uh, first worked together like twelve years ago. Um, the um, so long the Mesos <laughs> and now Kubernetes ecosystem around kind of distributed containerized systems. Um, or they have some cloud background or whatnot. And one of the things that's really hard from, from my perspective is evaluating the depth and breadth of those skills, right? right. Because we need to know, we need people that know a, like a pretty decent amount about a lot of kind of random stuff to be able so to pull it together to run a, yeah. a distributed system like that. So as you're bringing somebody on, how do you vet that? Well, um, a lot of times um, from like a career perspective, I'm looking at somebody's resume and I'm trying to see if they've kind of jumped around to multiple parts of the technology stack successfully. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm looking specifically for, for one of like 15 like distributed systems. Like if they've used Kafka right. or they've used an MPP database or they've experience setting up Kubernetes or Mesos, or they've got Docker experience, or, you know, they talk about HBase or Hadoop or Cassandra right. or Couchbase, or, <laughs> you know, insert your probably kind of, probably harder to use than CockroachDB distributed system here, right? Um, that's, a, that's generally a good thing. I think the other spot um, is, is really around some of these certifications that, that we're here to talk about today, right? Um, you know, you don't, I don't get that much time with a candidate uh, that I haven't worked with before to know if they're going to be good. 
we do send folks a take-home exam, right? Which is basically yep. a two to four hour exercise. It's kind of intended for, um, for folks, uh, for us to be able to evaluate <laughs> if folks have a, like a baseline of knowledge as well as right. for those folks to determine if they like the work of working with CockroachDB. Um, right. And as so, part of that, we have the extra credit thing, which I think you know a little bit about. Yeah. So the, the, the jumping through hoops, making sure that you build out on a, on Kubernetes or utilizing um, some sort of platform like that. The other thing you have the dubious distinction of being able to get a view into is what it's. So right now, the perspective you're giving is as a hiring manager for somebody that's going to be in pre-sales. You yep. also did your engineering stint. So you would yes. do this. I mean, what sort of torture would you inflict upon a candidate there? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what sort of questions would you do for maybe an engineering candidate? Because I assume that's kind of the blend of people that we might have on. As yeah, well. so so at, at Cockroach Labs, we do open source um, interviewing. So the great thing about all this is that there's like a repo and you can see all of our design and like algorithmic reviews for engineers, mm -hmm. um, which um, if I get a couple of minutes, I'll go pull the link and, and drop it in the chat. So, um, so what I was using over the last six months is we were kind of trying to staff up a, a, a Kubernetes team specific to build, continuing to maintain and enhance our open source operator was where stuff that were things like, um, the same kinds of conversations we were having when we were hiring SREs to run Cockroach Cloud, right? Because the SREs right. are developers that manage and run, you know, they're running a couple hundred Cockroach DB clusters on Kubernetes and they're right. they're running them programmatically. So we figured if you, you know, that was probably a good skill set. Um, so largely what we're looking for there is a combination of prior art, right? Um, so if you've already ever built a project on Kubernetes and published it on your GitHub repo, we're, we're certainly going to consider that. Um, as well as kind of these distributed system design interviews. Um, I, uh, I didn't actually do the interviews. I asked some, some of the SREs to do them on my behalf. Um, yep. But so, um, they're, 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 they're challenging. They're, it's okay for them to be hard. They're, it's not okay for them to be trick questions, which is why we we publish them. That's right. That's I, I, I think the big thing to take away from, at least with our hiring process, you don't, we're not going to try and make it so that you're miserable in the interview. <laughs> that's for sure. But um, yeah. So the other, the other aspect of this is that you, we we're talking to whether to certify or not to certify. Right. And yeah. you, what you've mentioned so far is a lot of work experience. So if a person comes in, they have the experience, whether it's distributed or actually directly with Kubernetes, fantastic. But how do you view certifications? So I can as a, use, as a hiring manager or in general. Yeah, I can use a certification as kind of a surrogate for uh, a line item on a resume, right? So it, for someone, I, I've talked to people, a lot of people about like potentially coming to Cockroach Labs or coming to past companies and um, and, and a lot of times it's people that are trying to make a change in their careers, right? They want, they want to move towards a new technology that they're not getting to use at their current job or- And, and, and sorry, Keith, with that in mind, because this ties into a question we got from someone in the chat. 
Um, when you're talking about career changes, do you look exclusively for software engineers or distributed systems and DB uh, database practitioners? A blend? I mean, I suppose it depends on the role. Uh, it de very much depends on the role. My philosophy on hiring is um, is is very much I try not to hire the same person twice. Um, so I'm not necessarily looking for a specific skill set. So as I'm trying, I'm looking to fill a skill set that I don't have filled on a particular team. Now, right. the vast majority of my hiring experience is field engineering, pre and post sales engineering that's doing customer facing stuff. And so uh, a lot of times we have to kind of handle dynamic problems that are not well defined. Um, yeah. It's a little different on the engineering side when I was kind of acting as the hiring manager on the engineering side to build this, this team out. The we were, we were certainly looking for software engineers first that also had right. some distributed systems experience. So, so my perspective as a hiring manager, if, if someone's gotten a certification that I'm familiar with and that I know demonstrates that they have some of the experience um, and knowledge that, that we're going to be looking for, I can use that in lieu of work experience on a similar technology. Right. Yeah, so it's not, not hard and fast. It's not a hard and fast. It's not required. It's not like I say, if you don't have a CKA certification, I'm not going to hire you for a Kubernetes thing. <laughs> if you've been working, you know, you've been a Kubernetes SME for three years and you've been too busy to go get certified. I, I, I would fall into that bucket. I don't have my Kubernetes certification specifically yeah. um, because I got started before the certifications were a thing. And then I just, never had the 80 hours to go do the studying for the test. Right. So, yeah. um, is it 80 hours? Is that all I did? I think it was oh, more like 120 months. for you, but <laughs> I mean, for the average person, me, it would take you 80, 80 hours. I mean, I'm just saying like three, three to six months. It's all no, good. And it's, if, it's, uh, another follow-up question with that too, is that, cause you mentioned, uh, Keith, the, the customer facing aspect, there's no customer facing certifications. You know what I mean? Like that's something that, you know, that's the, what kind of metrics can you really put on that? I guess you either have the experience or you oh, don't, yeah. but I think it's really important because like we've got the technical side, but can you sit down with a customer and perhaps in some kind of gray areas to diagnose what's going on and, and the, where it's not always super clear about what that, like I said, where it's just not black and white. Yeah. Well, and a lot of the interview process that we do here is scenario-based interview. So what we're trying to figure out how you approach problems. A lot of times there's not a right answer. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Or there's more than one right answer. Because if not, there was, I wouldn't have got them. That's for sure. So the other, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, I think I just want to add on to that, right? The, the, it not only is it scenario based, but it really is to see if you're, you're a culture fit. And that's, that should be important. But from a customer facing standpoint, that could be almost anything from a, have you done tech support to uh, pre-sales or what have you, just that you don't throw up on yourself when you get in front of a customer, you know, you're not yeah. shy about it. And that's, that's what we mean when we really talk about customer facing um, that you're able to present professionally in a, in a fashion. As jokey as we like to be, at the end of the day, uh, people like it when you're a little more professional than Keith is on a regular basis. Thanks. Appreciate that. High standards. Um, so, so we're certainly in this spot though, where a certification is going to help um, a hiring manager, uh, whether it's at Cockroach Labs or elsewhere, yeah. determine if you have a skill set that's not otherwise obvious on your resume. Um, the other Definitely. thing um, that I really like, because we we actually just hired someone who's going to be starting with us in a couple of weeks, who um, who has. Who, who has taken this to an extreme, but it, it showed a, 
Um, like he was at, uh, he was like a sysadmin um, at a company that would have been a customer of ours. He, he decided he wanted to get to a vendor and he put together a plan where he went through like, I could, like in some experience at a consulting firm. And now we're bringing him on in a vendor to, to do pre-sales. And he had this plan and he used certifications to help him bridge the knowledge gap for each of the steps in his journey. Yep. Not only does that show that he's got this like breadth of technical background, that means that he's going to be able to help us out in a lot of different ways that I might not be able to anticipate yet. But it also kind of shows that someone's dedicated to, to doing, um, doing what needs to be done to, to, to get whatever it is, whatever challenge comes up next. Cause yeah. we don't necessarily know what that's going to be. Right. So I would rather hire someone that's dynamic. That's kind of demonstrated that they're um, motivated uh, that I'm necessarily looking for a specific skill set. Um, but specific to Kubernetes, right. the thing that I like about the Kubernetes, the Kubernetes um, certified administrator uh, uh, specifically is that it's a kind of a broad brush Kubernetes certification and prepping for it is actually a pretty substantial time commitment, right? And so someone that's gotten through it, not only were they motivated to get through it, but I know that like they can answer all the 200 level questions about Kubernetes. And maybe they don't know something specific about the CNI plugin that a customer is looking at, but they know the context around how CNI plugins right. work and, and, and that you Kubernetes. said that they have the, the discipline, the motivation, the tenacity, that if something comes up that they don't know, that they've got that drive and they'll get that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's not like the, the CKA certification is an easy one. It's not the hardest certification on the planet, but it's far from like a, uh, like a cupcake kind it's, of a certification. It's not, it's not a walk in the park. And there's a little bit of intimidating. We'll, we'll get into it when I go through, but it's, it, it's a little intimidating too at first. But yeah. Uh, so, um, and because of that, be, because it's not like super easy to get to, that provides with like, provides me with the confidence that it's not just like one of those checkbox kind of things. Um, we certainly see some of the, like the associate level uh, cloud certifications are a little too easy to get. And they don't give us the same kind of signal that some of these more rigorous exam-based certifications have. Um, you know, I, I don't, the, the thing I am not as clear on um, uh, is the value of some of the other Kubernetes certifications, like the, the Kubernetes certified developer and the Kubernetes certified like security engineer um, ones. They seem to just be subsets of the CKA exam, right? Um, they don't seem to have a lot of additional like information in them. Um, that uh, you're not already getting in the CK exam. I'd much rather someone take the, the, like the full certification, like the premier one, um, than one of the specialist ones. Unless, they're, unless I'm hiring them for a very specific, to solve a very specific problem, I'd much rather have someone that I know is capable of kind of handling whatever might get thrown at them, if that makes sense. I would say the only thing I'd add to those two certifications is it does give them a good sense and you get an idea of where they are trying to focus, whether it's on the application side or the security side. So it's, I do agree with Keith. It did feel like those were uh, subsets, but I think 
if I were, you know, I used to be a hiring manager, the way I would approach it is that at least it shows the person moving in that direction. They may not be perfect, but the, the, the certification, the administrator one is, is really, it's comprehensive and really why it takes a while to get through it. Uh, so why don't we, why don't we move to kind of some of the practitioner perspective here, Jeff? So first we'll off, with why I'm off, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So, so why are you so awesome? That's fantastic. I and, tell I, and I need to ask what my was parents your ex- that. And, and, what was, and what was your experience going through this, the, the CKA certification this year? All right, cool. So um, other than being, you know, delightfully awesome, uh, that's, I can thank my parents. For you're the also a, sna- a snappy, that. you're also a snappy dresser. I just want you to yes. know that. Well, I wanted to get a sh- shirt on that kind of blinded people at the same time as hypnotized them. Um, yes. So from a, from a practitioner standpoint, or going through the prep, the prep was a, a lot. I did two different courses for it though. The, there was in um, my choice in this, not the, plug something, but my choice was uh, something on, on Udemy, right? The Udemy had a pretty good course for the certification because it, uh, it had um, uh, the, the lectures, you know, recorded lectures that you could go through, but it also had this really neat testing. Uh, they use uh, cloud code, which allows you to, they spin up a Kubernetes environment and then they either you know, walk you through these, they ask you questions and you have to basically build it. Which is really nice because it's you know starts with something simple like create a pod, but then at the end of it you're troubleshooting why your Kubernetes cluster isn't working, and this is all things that they verify behind the scenes, and it quickly aligns to what you're doing for what when I finally took the certification it aligns very well to the certification. The negative on that is if you have no experience or stuff, I mean again you need to make sure you're starting with some sort of container technology because uh, you can't start with Kubernetes if you don't understand containers, but uh, that being that being said, um, I found it really comprehensive to the point where I felt really comfortable getting into conversations about Kubernetes. Even though I think, from a practical nature, there's nothing that replaces that interaction between you and another, you know, a customer or trying to identify, figure out a problem that you're already experiencing in your your given environment. So I felt that way. Uh, it was. Again, like I said, it took two courses. The second one was much more comprehensive and effective. And that, that one I feel I attribute to being able to pass it, the certification. So so what was, I know that the, the, the Udemy class that you took was something like 40 hours with videos. I know that uh, Linux Foundation yeah. has uh, a instructor-led training, similar instructor-led training was in its four days, which would be 32 hours of instructor-led training. After after you went through the videos once, what was your prep time from initial study to when you felt comfortable taking the exam? Yeah, so, I mean, part of that had to do with, you know, you have a day job and I have kids and locking myself in a room was, you know, and they start asking who's the man in the room, that's a problem, you know, I just... Uh, my children don't know me anymore. No, actually, the whole point, once I finished the course, it is about 40 minutes. You know it was a vacation. Life. You had an excuse to like <laughs> yeah. tell your wife I just, you couldn't, okay, you couldn't take alone, care I'm of studying. the kids that afternoon. because I'm studying. studying it's exam. COVID. I'm in my room drinking. I mean, studying. <laughs> studying. Uh, no, the, the I would say once I got through the 40 hours of the lectures, but keep in mind, at the end of each lecture, there was a test. Uh, so the test would be an hour, up to an hour long. Right. Uh, so 
it was, it's really 80 hours if you count the test part in. And then I went through the tests again because I'm obsessive. Uh, so I would say from the point I actually finished and the point it was, <laughs> it was pretty It was pretty quick because Keith and I had a conversation. He's like, you really got to sign up for the certification. So my suggestion is nothing lights a fire under your butt, like putting, signing up for the certification, putting that date and making sure that you work towards that date when the certification occurs. So I would say um, it was pretty quick. It was a pretty quick turnaround once I went through the testing again that I scheduled within two weeks. So, and so then that, it, that you gave some really interesting advice to the team because we have some other folks at, at Cockroach on, on our blended team. So my manager, uh, who's head of worldwide sales engineering, he's incentivizing his entire team to get Kubernetes certified because we, we run into a lot of Kubernetes, obviously. Um, and, um, and when we were talking about it on a team meeting, you had, you had a, you had a strategy for folks that I'll let you share. I won't steal, I won't steal. Oh God, I don't idea. even know. I say, so the problem with me is I say a lot of things and forget what I said. So if okay. you're talking about. <laughs> it's you, you suggested folks that already have some Kubernetes experience. If they weren't oh, sure broad, what they need to study up on, right. you suggested going through taking the end yes. of section tests from this particular Udemy class. Yes. So yeah, and then just exactly. going back and watching the videos if they didn't pass. Right. And that, that is, that's pretty much what I was doing as well, but not fully. I actually went through because I wanted to know how everything interacted, but if you already know it and this particular one, like I'm talking about the Udemy one, they have a whole separate, you could literally just log into the test and then that's it. Go from one test to the next, to the next, to the next, or start where you're like, okay, I know all this stuff. I'm going to start down in the middle you know, maybe I want to start with networking and such. So, and it would say it's, that will cut down on time. Um, and you'll know pretty quickly because the tests usually have anywhere from 12 to uh, 25 questions, but the questions require you to do something. So, you know, they might be something simple, like how many pods are running in uh, a given namespace or what, you know, what, is, what are the deployments that are currently, what's in the current, you know, XYZ deployment. Those are simple, but then it's okay. Now you have to deploy that, expose those to those uh, deployments, be able to work with them, and that I felt is a lot quicker. If you so, if you have experience and you want to get the certification, just take that route. Um, if you don't have the experience, like I said, you still should start with Docker if you're not familiar with it at the very minimum from a container standpoint, but then move into Kubernetes and drive through that pretty heavily. Uh, I actually really liked it. I thought it was, and I'll be honest, I'm not one to go get certifications a lot. It's been a while. So it was like just a, like, because, a, like a driver. Yeah, you know, I'm old enough. To, you know, I've got enough experience. I don't need to do that again. But <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like I got DUIs. I'm like, oops, sorry. Anyway, um, but it's more, but it's, it's to that point, right? It's just, I tend to have more practical experience. But I felt in this case, it's a very complex piece. And to really adequately understand it, it, I just wanted to go through it. And I went through it multiple times and then it really was getting ridiculous. Like I either should take the test or just give up, you know, that kind of thing. So. Well, and you um, passed on the first try. So you didn't I did. take the test. I did. I will say this on, if those who are looking to take the test, because of how it's structured, um, 
I would go through all the questions, all the ones that you know you can answer really quickly. Bang, 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 get all the way to the end. It's, you know, 20 or so questions. Uh, but, they, you know, they all require you to do something. They're all practical. Like, build this, do this, what's this? And in, in an environment, multiple environments. And then come back to the questions that you did that or were more complex. Because if you spend too much time on those, you won't have enough time to finish the easy ones. Uh, and then as a result, you run out of time because it is a timed exam. And I, I stink at that stuff. So at first, you know, you start that little panic and then you just be like, okay, well, I'll just go through and do the easy ones and then I'll come back and do the hard ones. And that worked out for me. The, a couple, um, couple of questions. Sorry, a couple of questions. Yeah. One, one from Leonard. Uh, presumably one should be from very familiar with Linux, uh, CLI and bash scripting and containers before even beginning the CKA prep to take the exam. Would you agree with that? I would, I think. Linux, I don't, yeah. I don't, very comfortable, I think comfortable. Not very comfortable. I don't think anybody needs, you don't need to be like a bash scripting wizard. No. But I, you probably need to know your way around the Linux box. But if you're not true. like, yeah. but if you're not like, like if you have to still, if you have to look up writing a while loop, that's probably fine. Right? <laughs> I do that. If you didn't time. know LS and like <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff, you might struggle. If you're a general user of Linux, I think you'll be fine. I think the big thing that I found interesting is there's learn how to quickly make a YAML file. That I can't say that enough, which is there's a command line to be able to do that, but it that will take you the most time, especially YAML as you do the exam. YAMLint is your friend. Well, YAMLint's fine from a manual structure. I'm talking pre-build. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Kubernetes allows you to be able to run a command line and say dry run. And then when you do the dry run, you can output that to YAML and it will build it for you. And that saves you a lot of time. And you, for the test, you should really be familiar with VI, VI or some technology like that to be able to edit these files. Because you're going to be working on your laptop, but they're going to only allow you to have, actually, you're on your laptop, but you're running it on uh, the environment that they provide you. It's You need to be familiar with it. Yeah, and then a couple other comments. Um, knowing how to manage uh, Creo or just know Docker Basics, which one would you recommend? I, I don't think that really matters that much. It's yeah, more the okay. concepts and less the, right, exactly. the actual tech, okay. right? If you're not familiar with Container Basics and the difference between a C group and a namespace and that kind of stuff, you might want to you know learn that stuff first because it you know it's definitely impactful when you start thinking about combining those concepts in pods. Okay. and, and yeah. containers so yeah. and then it, it's oh no sorry, go ahead jeff sorry yeah go ahead no i was just gonna say it's, it really is about like you just really you need to know to i i said basics but you got to go a little a little farther than that in containers so that way you're not lost once you're starting to deal with them within kubernetes because if you don't start there you're going to be really confused once you get into kubernetes yeah so and then one other comment, just a comment here saying a bit of AWK, grep, et cetera, will also be helpful. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think there's more than one strategy there mm -hmm. um, yeah. for sure. Um, I don't normally use awk or sed for- oh, I love um, awk. For, don't diss um, my awk. For, for my work <laughs> in Kubernetes. Um, like, but I might use Perl because I'm old enough that like, that was always available, or I might use like a scripting language to do find and replace. There's also, I'm pretty good with VI, so I know how to do that stuff in VI pretty easily. Yeah. So a little grep and a little VI, um, you know, 
Um, also, I fundamentally believe that if you think Emacs is better than VI, then you probably shouldn't take this exam because you're the wrong kind of engineer for this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. um, but generally speaking, you're going to have like a, a Linux um, yeah. an environment. So you'll have Emacs, you'll have VI, you'll have Nano. Um, uh, so as long as you know one of the three big text editors in, in Linux, you're probably going to have the tools that you need. Yeah, exactly. Any other questions from the chat? No, no, but you know, like familiarity with Linux. Um, I think the, yeah, like we had somebody in our community just doing the intro to Kubernetes course from the LF and it, there were some assumptions about Linux that were there that this person wasn't particularly familiar with. So yeah, I think some, you know, Linux, like you said, comfortable, but not extremely comfortable. Another question, uh, should, we, should we know a bit about data wrangling? So that would probably help you if you were running CockroachDB and Kubernetes. I don't know that right. that's necessarily super important for getting your Kubernetes certification. Um, I think there might be a one or two spots, but it's not like the Kubernetes certification has you running a database on Kubernetes. And that's, no. and, and, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. No, I was going to say, it's more like creating a pod within it. It's, you're going to create a web application that connects up to Redis might be the extent of it. And even then, it's not really like you need to do anything there. You're not doing any data loading or any sort of right. manipulation of the data. Uh, you just really, it's to show that you can set up an application, get it to communicate between multiple pods, things like that, where it's more practical in real life. Uh, now, but yeah, not data not data. Right now, now, if you wanted to go reproduce one of my CockroachDB on Kubernetes demos, uh, knowing a little bit about data wrangling could be very valuable, right? So, so it, I think that um, there, because Kubernetes is a system for running other apps, depending on what applications you're going to be running in Kubernetes, there are a lot of supplementary skill sets that could help you have a, a much more positive experience um, working with Kubernetes. But I don't, they, they won't necessarily stop you from getting the certification exam or demonstrating that you have a baseline knowledge in, in, in Kubernetes. It's more like, hey, well, what are you going to do with it after you, when you want to actually use it for real work? That's where stuff like data wrangling and those kinds of things are, are, are more helpful. The other, the other spot, this is kind of more where I learned because um, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of training back then, um, was Kubernetes the hard way, which Kelsey maintains a, the GitHub repo. Um, I'm very much uh, like, learn by doing type of person. So that's another great potential way to teach yourself Kubernetes and prep for the certification exam. Um, I really struggle to watch videos um, for a long period. It's like, I can watch a 30 minute video, but like 40 hours worth of instructor videos would pro I'd probably tune out after hour three and then never tune back in. So, and if you're like me um, and you're not gonna spend you know, the couple thousand dollars that the Linux Foundation charges for like instructor-led training, um, then hands-on like Kubernetes the hard way is a, another great way to potentially prepare for, for something like this. Uh, it, yeah. It's all about your personal learning style, right? Um, I think if you use both, to be honest with you though on that, I think if you use both, because I did, I did both as a, as a batter of like, I wanted to create an environment on my laptop. So I've got Kubernetes running, it's a five node piece. Uh, and then I install, I basically got you know cockroach running on it, right? Yep. So a three node cockroach cluster and an application piece. So I think 
my recommendation there is even if you're the, the ones that like to take the lectures and you like to do all the testing, that's great. Now take, you know, the Kubernetes the hard way and go through and build something. His builds it up. There's two different ways you can do it. Then. And then I would also recommend try doing it without, just try building your own cluster, right? Just keep it simple, um, but still build it out. And and because when we see in the feed, like what I've seen is that the biggest problem we run into is not because people don't understand Cockroach DB, it's just they've set up their Kubernetes cluster wrong. So like understanding how to set one up would be, it's I think very, you know, probably more important. Is that okay? Did I say something wrong? You're just staring at the screen. Everybody's staring me now. Uh, <laughs> no, I, think I think there might, there's just a little bit of lag, Jeff, and like that's all. There's a little lag? There's a little lag. Yeah. There's a little lag. Now, what I want to follow up on this, because, you know, specifically, we just got that data wrangling question. What you were mentioning, Keith, yeah. like obviously, you know, Cockroach is very much in this space, um, as well as some other some other companies that are out there. But uh, as we see the the increasing interest in, in DBREs, you know, we also had a, a talk in our KubeCon event in May, talking about from DBA to SRE, kind of building in these, these more data-centric skill sets. Do you feel, what elements about data do you feel are well covered in the, in the certifications? And perhaps what ones aren't so well covered and with the idea that maybe in the future there could be an exam that's more focused on these data questions? Yeah, I mean, I don't think data is particularly well covered in the CKA at all. I think um, storage is covered well. Mm -hmm. which is different mm -hmm. than data, right? So yeah. storage ABC, is how we're yeah. storing the data and connecting it to pods, but actually using and manipulating and managing that data after the fact is not uh, necessarily well covered, right? And so really the question then kind of becomes, you know, what, what are you trying to do, right? Like, yeah. because there are one of the, the benefits and uh, downsides of something like Kubernetes is that you are you have to build a system that's partition tolerant. So there's this thing called the cap theorem in data management, which is consistency, availability, and partition tolerance. You can only guarantee two of the three, right? Um, so if you have to be partition tolerant because you're in a distributed system, you... Uh, you're, you can only guarantee either consistency or availability, and then you have to give on the other one in some way, shape or form, right? So we're a CP database at CockroachDB. So we guarantee consistency. And then there are certain failure scenarios, like if you lose two thirds of your cluster, where we may not be able to respond to requests because we can't do a quorum check for that particular query if we've lost quorum on our, our data replicas, right? There are other databases that are AP databases, like um, I think something like Cassandra, um, where, um, where you, you get something called item potency. So you know, you'll get the last write that's available on any node that's currently responding, but it doesn't guarantee that's actually the most current piece of information, right? Um, there are scenarios where you want one or the other, right? Like, there are times when 10 minute old data, it's more, it's more important to respond even if your data is slightly out of date than it is uh, to, be, uh, to have the latest version of that record, right? Um, and then there are other times like with your bank account where um, if, you get, if it's ever wrong, like 
Like if you were to like go and take $200 out of your checking account with a debit card, and then you went and tried to process, use your debit card five minutes later, and it said the money was still there, you probably freak out, right? So (laughs) So you're going to want to pick a database like CockroachDB for that type of a use case where, um, um, so so there are design considerations there, right? Um, When you're bringing those kinds of considerations to Kubernetes, and you're forced to always be partition tolerant, you're always picking one of those trade-offs. So there's no more one database to rule them all, right? Like we're not returning to the days of 1992 where you could pick Oracle or you could pick DB2 and use it for all of your transaction processing and all of your warehouse processing and all of your hybrid processing and time series database. Like now you're gonna pick three or four different database technologies for, um, and you're gonna kind of blend them together uh, to solve your problems. And so um, being right. able to, to know what, what the right type of architecture is to solve a particular problem is really important. Um, and, and those are the kinds of things that, that currently aren't being covered um, in, in any kind of distributed systems um, uh, uh, training that I'm aware of outside of like college classrooms, like you're getting a master's degree in distributed systems at one yeah. of a half a dozen universities like Carnegie Mellon. There's a, there's a great school right outside of Toronto that who's, that we actually hire a bunch of people from. Okay. Um, it, I am blanking on there's like, like um, I think Cal Berkeley and Stanford have good distributed systems programs. And there's like one or two others. I'm sure MIT does. Right. But outside of like these, master's and PhD thesis programs at, you know, some of these universities that specialize in, um, in distributed systems and computer science, like there's, there's nowhere to learn it other than kind of just getting your hands dirty and getting the practical experience. Yeah. All right. Um, just, we, uh, we got a little bit of time left, so I got a couple more questions. Um, these are, these are questions that were put together by our amazing interns. First question for Jeff. Um, from being a data warehouse developer, how did you acquire ex- expertise related to a solutions engineer role? <laughs> so it's been over a bit of time, but uh, basically what I actually, uh, when I was with Natizis, this is how Keith and I get, get to know each other. Um, so with Natiza, I was actually in tech support, right? Oh. So I wasn't in the field, but I did, most of my career, I've been customer facing on some level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did start, in database development and then just slowly moved to operations and then moved for uh, customer facing. And then I had a sales rep actually recruit me to be his SE. And that's pretty much how I started. And I was like 11 or so years ago, 12. And then from there, it really at the time I was doing an hour and a half commute, <laughs> one way to work. And when he said, uh, yeah, you don't need to go into the office anymore. I was like, great, I'm sold. He's like, but you gotta learn how to present crap. You know, so it was, <laughs> That was the only negative on it for me, but other than that, um, yeah, working in Natiza was a distributed system, so that's where I got my first flavor, uh, first taste of it there, and then moved into the field. And really, it's just been one of the things I have pretty much done in my career, even though I'm back at a da- database company again, I moved away from it for a bit, right? To whether it was ETL tooling or governance tooling, or even, um, you just you just name it, but it always had to do with some element of distributed because it's just interesting. And I've been pretty close to 
never really being that far from open source. So it's really just, I think a lot of what helps people, or at least it's helped me in my career, is really just being adaptable. And once you get used to being in front of crowds or being on camera or whatever it ends up being, it's really easy after that. And it's just a matter of building out your skill set. You know, yeah. what do you, what do you, what is interesting to you? Uh, I would say the, probably the only thing I need left is those types I'm always learning. So there's a lot that I need to, to get better at, definitely a lot. But the, the, the area I haven't done is really just really app development, the front end. I have not really done much there, but it's been more of the plumbing, which is less attractive. Yeah. It's less, you know, it's like going in a house and looking at the plumbing and then looking at the electrical. It's great. We're going to wall this up and then hide it behind a facade. Dirty secret so, though. Plumbers and electricians make more money than the guy that paints the walls to make the house. Oh, that's, that's yeah. Sure. There is, sure. there's, there's that little element too, chasing a, a little bit of that. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. I feel like that's where, um, and then, you know, just, yeah, I, I've done graph databases too. So it's one of those okay. things where doing a lot of different things um, has helped. And then Kubernetes just seemed like an extension to that. You know what I mean? It's now everything's, a lot of things are running in Kubernetes. Okay, great. I need to know more about that. Yeah. So like you said, just open mind, constantly learning. It's not a static, yeah, you know, the situation. If process. you're static, then just yeah. stick with one technology and wait for it to be <laughs> deprecated from society. <laughs> <laughs> so, and be, yeah. you know, but that's not the world we live in now. You know? Definitely so not. Yeah. It, my. However, was, if you're a, if you're a Fortran developer, oh I know God, I know some people. Because all the Fortran developers have retired, I know some people that would pay you four or five hundred dollars an hour to do Fortran development. So um, it, everything that um, uh, was once really um, useful and that became out of um, uh, you know out of favor becomes useful again at some point later on in your career if you want it to. But I, I, even if you uh, go forward with Kubernetes. Like it's just, you're learning a distributed technology, container technology, that stuff, it's not going to go away. It's just, it may be, it, you know, morph over time, but it's, it's got to be there. So once you learn those fundamentals or understand how they work, that'll serve you to understand new technologies a lot quicker. And that's really all you're building your base on. Yeah. To be more adaptable. Okay, good. And last questions uh, that we're just trying to get all the speakers to, to address because, you know, our community is very much focused sure. on data on Kubernetes, which you, you've well covered. Um, but do both of you think that Kubernetes is ready to handle stateful workloads in production? And could you very briefly explain why or why not and, what's, and what makes it possible? Or if not, what makes it not possible? Well, I mean, we're running uh, over 100 Cockroach Cloud instances in production and a third of our Customers have production entitlements. So it means they paid for a license from us. So they get, you know, 24 by 7 by 365 support for Cockroach DB running Kubernetes. So um, generally, <laughs> so I would say, yeah. that, you know, in the limited sense of running your production workloads on Cockroach DB on Kubernetes, the answer is a definitive yes. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I remind people of is that we talk about Kubernetes like it's a single thing, but it's actually a project, right? And there are a lot of um, edges that aren't as well defined or understood as people think they are, right? So you can pick one of like 20 different CNIs and you know, for storage, you've got even more options. And there's an option, you have a couple of different containerizers you can use, right? You don't even have to use etcd on the back end, right? And so um, 
So if you're using a distribution that's well-tested and well-supported and you're using a platform like CockroachDB that is well-tested and well-supported on Kubernetes, then I think the answer is yes. Um, if you are drawing outside the lines or trying to bring a legacy application, like you want to try to run, say, old-school Postgres on, uh, on Kubernetes, um, it's not a no, it's a maybe. It's really like, are you experienced enough in both running this legacy application and experienced right. enough in running Kubernetes to make all the right decisions to set it up so it is production supportable? It's not that you can't run Postgres on Kubernetes, but yeah. you need to make sure that you're doing your you have your synchronous replication to a like a, like a warm standby setup that hopefully is in another Kubernetes cluster, and that you've got all of your backups set up properly. And yeah. that you've got a load balancer set up in front of it that is smart enough to know when there's a failover going on, how to handle that. And you've got like um, signal to your DBAs and your systems engineers and your operators that when there's a problem, because, you know, Postgres isn't going to automatically fail over that someone can do that manual migration for you, those types of things. Right. So it, there's no one, in my opinion, at least, there's no one right answer there. I think right. you can make so certain easy decisions that make it a pretty clear yes. Yeah, you can make some ambiguous decisions that can make it a maybe. Mm -hmm. And then there's some things that I would just never try to run in Kubernetes, right? Like, um, like there there's certain like uh, database technologies that we won't that shall remain nameless that that are. Uh, <laughs> a shared everything architecture, right? That their clustering mechanism requires everything to be able to share every other piece of infrastructure. Kubernetes doesn't manage that well at all, right? And so I wouldn't recommend running that system there. If you can configure it in a shared nothing situation and you can set up your, your, your replication and you can, you're comfortable managing all that stuff, then that's the, right. that's the maybe. And I think 80% of applications probably fall into that, that maybe category. And then there's 10% that's obviously yes, 10% that's obviously no. Um, and I, if that makes sense. Jeff, did you have more to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, but it all draws back to if you are, first of all, it's, it's really just laying out your architecture and how you want to go about this. Because sometimes if you're adding Kubernetes, you're adding a, a complexity. So is it a route you need to go? Is it, is it necessary? On top of that, you need to make sure your Kubernetes environment is solid. And I say that because, go back to a comment I know I made earlier in this, in this webinar, is around how we are mostly dealing with troubleshooting customers' Kubernetes environments, not a problem with the database. Because what happens is, is that you're gonna start blaming your application for the problem, and it could be the Kubernetes setup. Yeah. Because you because the person who set it up knew just enough. Yeah. So but they left out a couple of important details. So th that's where I feel like, yes, if you're doing a certification, you get that solid, you get that solid baseline. Um, mm -hmm. But I echo pretty much everything Keith said about, you know, the move, you know, will it work in production? Well, yes, but that, and our popular answer for solution engineering is, well, that depends, you know, what are you doing? And then you go through and try to see if the architecture really should move there or you're just really doing it because it's the now thing, right? So you wanna make sure that you have a proper use case for it and that your environment's stable and then you move forward from there. 
And, and Jeff, just to follow up on that, because you mentioned, you know, the, the customer side and perhaps the setup aspect, because um, maybe some of this relates to issues of trust. Do you think the biggest issue with running or perhaps reservations about running data on Kubernetes is the technology itself or the lack of the lack of trust that some people might have? So I, I think it's less the technology. I mean, it get, mm. again, it goes back to, to answer that question is more of a depends. It, it, does it make sense to have it in your architecture? Is it something that actually, uh, are you building new or is this just plugging it into an existing ecosystem? Um, I'm sorry, was the, uh, the, other, the other aspect of that is really just making sure you repeat your question. <laughs> I'm drawing uh, no, no, the question of a lack of trust. <laughs> I love lack of trust. Sorry, thank you. It's, it's you're, you're a jazz my, guitarist. You're improvising. It's okay. <laughs> I'm improvising, and I'm like, wait a minute, what the heck did he just ask me? But it sounds um, great, Jeff. Keep going. <laughs> no, it's good. I'll just pontificate on something that has nothing to do with what you asked. It's almost like a political debate. Um, the so anyway, on on top of that, it's really I find it really does have uh, it's a lack of knowledge when it when we're looking at environments. My lack of trust is that I, I don't think, I'm not fully trusting that the individual set the environment up correctly. That's where I'm coming from. It's not that I don't trust the technology. I mean, we've used it, we're using it in production. So I know it works when it's done right. If it's done wrong, it's the most frustrating thing you're gonna experience in a long time. But it's like anything, any other tool, you set it up wrong and it doesn't do what it's, you're expecting it to do. You're gonna spend most of your time trying to fix it. Well, and I think sometimes, that, yeah, that is the thing, right? Kubernetes intentionally um, um, obfuscates where you're running your software, right? I, I talk about little Kubernetes is software that teaches you the art of running your applications when you don't know where your applications are running. <laughs> and so when you've set the, the underlying um, foundations up wrong, Kubernetes makes the wrong decisions on your application's behalf. And so it thinks it's doing what you want it to do because you told it, you declared, this is the state I want you to maintain. And I want you to use this type of storage and I want you to use this type of networking. But there's certain things like, you know, where those persistent volumes landed on your storage array, where they could end up where you think you're distributed and highly available, but you actually have like five pods that are all reliant on like one disk array in your like right. in your your storage environment. Those are the things where things can really kind of get you into trouble, right? Where things will fail, where you have single points of failure that you don't you weren't aware of. Those are the things where you it, it really comes down to did you set your system up right? Yeah. Right. And this is and this is once again the need. The, I think that goes back to the, the need for certifications because a lot of uh, a lot of companies say you know like mm -hmm. we're we're we want to be working with Kubernetes but we literally just don't find we're having the talent is the biggest issue like we're not getting the people that can set those things up correctly um, and so then there's more there's more room for error. You know, one of the things that I've certainly noticed about the folks that we've hired that don't have Kubernetes experience and are learning it for the first time working with us is that from the outside Kubernetes feels like a black box. And you kind of need to demystify all the stuff that Kubernetes is doing for you um, so that you can then start to apply the like other pieces of technology you have experience with. Like most of the folks we've hired, they know how to set up storage. They know how to set up networking. They don't know how that works in the Kubernetes ecosystem. And I think certification 
um, particularly on Kubernetes helps bring all of those like disparate threads together for them in their minds. Yeah. Very good. Um, all right, uh, we're, we're over time now. So thank you very much for being so generous. Um, we got a lot of good questions. Still have some follow-up questions we might wanna address in, in Slack. You see the information on the on, on key slide right here. Cockroaches, very active. They also have a great Slack. Um, um, shout out to, to Lisa, who's running DevRel there, doing a very, very good job, very vibrant community and lots of stuff happening there. Um, as well as mentioned, they're also hiring. You heard a lot about what they're looking for in terms of hiring. So that information is very valuable for anyone who's interested in exploring those processes. Um, Keith, if you could stop sharing your screen really quickly so I can share mine. Um, good. And we didn't get to talk about video games, so we'll have to do that another day. Um, let me know when you can see my screen. Yes. Okay, so uh, while we were talking, our graphic recorder, Angel, was creating a gra uh, visual summary of all the different things, that, well, some of the things <laughs> that were talked about. There are a lot of things that were talked about. Uh, we didn't get to, uh, I don't know if, no, we, I don't know if, no, Jeff, we didn't get Jeff in his Metallica t-shirt, so we'll have to Photoshop that in later. No. Um, that's okay. But uh, but anyway, very, very interesting. I think, I think the audience is very happy with all the stuff that we touched on. Very practical um, and honest hearing both of your perspectives. Um, very, like I said, I think it was, it, the, the results are good. We've had a couple of other sessions about, about certifications, but hearing both of your perspectives and experiences, as well as how these things are being directly applied in Cockroach, uh, was very useful. Um, the meetup will, if you arrive late, the session will be on YouTube very soon. We've got a lot of sessions coming up in August. We've got about 15 planned, so it's going to be a busy month. Um, and definitely look forward to having both of you gentlemen back on at some point in the future. So we'll, we'll be in touch. Awesome.